final tribute to the health of my nephews, Jace, Luke, and Joffrey. Each of them handsome, wise, Strong. Amen. Come. Let us drain our cups to these three strong boys. Welcome to the Coffee Clats Crew House of the Dragons episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we review episode seven, Dripmark, and episode eight, The Lord of the Tides. Yeah, we've got a big episode in store here, Jason. A lot to talk about. Episode 7, Driftmark, was written by Kevin Lau, directed by Miguel Sapochnik. IMDb is giving it a 9.3 and Rotten Tomatoes a 96%. Woo! But hold on to your hats. Episode 8, The Lord of the Tides, written by Eileen Shim, directed by Gita Vesant Patel. IMDb is giving a 9.6 and Rotten Tomatoes a 96%. These are the highest scores we've had yet this season. I think these two episodes were right up there for me. Some of my favorites. I really enjoyed both of them. The twists are happening. Shit's going down. I mean, the wedding episode, We Light the Way, was still high up there for me. They only gave that a nine. But yeah, I really liked the last episode eight. I'm very excited to talk about it. For seven, the critics say, while the copious day for night cinematography will prompt viewers to adjust their brightness settings... Mm -hmm. Driftmark shows us a court that's become so completely entrenched in its own infighting, distrust, and paranoia that a single spark could ignite the powder keg. Agreed. And episode eight, a bit slower than previous episodes, but that doesn't mean it won't still pack a punch. Some truly shocking moments, an incredible ending, things are gearing up towards an epic finale. Agreed. It did start a little bit slow, but they had to set up that episode. And then, for real, it kicks you in the balls right at the end. Once I realized where they were going with it, the character development I thought was the best of the season. Sort of everything I've been waiting for when it comes to that, to really start to understand these people, feel for them, get nervous about it. I don't know why that one really worked for me on that front. I wasn't as high on Driftmark as other people. And I do just have to say right off the bat that I agree. Maybe we don't have a million dollar TV <laughs> and a technician to put us to exactly the right settings because of a lot of the other podcasters were saying, well, it looked fine on my TV. I mean, I've got a great TV and my settings are really good. Our TV is pretty good. It's well, a pretty nice set. It's probably better for OLED TV people. That's correct, but you are also very technologically inclined. It's not like we're watching on an iPad or a phone. There's a lot of people who are watching on lower quality than what we have. So if sure. we're having an issue with the darkness, that means the vast majority of viewers who are not in that small camp are probably also having an issue with the darkness. And it must be said, this is director Miguel Sapochnik. Who we love. Who I think is amazing, but was heavily criticized for directing the episode in Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. The Long Night, that was considered far too dark. And we do have another case here where the darkness is taking place surrounding an episode of A Flying Dragon. So is this trying to cover up the CGI or any possible mistakes by making it that dark? And I understand that it's not horribly offensive this time, probably because it's not the whole episode. But there were parts leading up to that dragon. I actually thought the flying of the dragon part was okay for me. And the Rhaenyra Damon parts of that scene. 
before that, when they were in the castle, I was saying, who is that person? Where are they going? Did someone just walk up to them? I could not even tell who people were. So that's a bit of an issue for me. After that point, I thought it was really good. I thought the dragon ride looked great for me. Probably some of the best dragon visuals we had gotten. Also to check in on the title here, Driftmark we know is the island home to the Valerians, the seat of their power. It is west of Dragonstone in Blackwater Bay. If you look at a map, they are fairly close together, but this one being closer to Westeros than Dragonstone and a little further south, they're both a distance longer than I thought to King's Landing. So it is possible when you're seeing them sail back and forth, but I'm guessing it would be kind of a journey to take that ride. Oh, for sure. But not on a dragon. Yeah, I don't know what the speed and time is when we're flying on Dragonback. But it's an island in the Crownlands with a long point. It's low-lying, very fertile, and named after the driftwood brought in by the tides. Speaking of which, the title of Eight is Lord of the Tides, a title traditionally claimed by the heads of House Valerion, long a strong naval power in Blackwater Bay. They've also, many of them, served as Master of Ships and Lord Admiral to the Iron Throne. So it is going to be a position of power. There is a good reason why there's a lot of fighting over this for mm. where the appointment's going to go. But we will get to that. First, we're going to hop into our plot and our dragon vision for episode seven, Driftmark. We open up with the funeral for Lena at sea. There's a lot going on here. Otto is there wearing the hand of the pin king again. So he just sort of unceremoniously shows back up. We don't really know how this happened how much power he has, how much is he actually back in Viserys' good graces. We see Damon pulling his usual stuff while Vaymond is giving the speech, Corley's brother. He's talking about houses that have actually kept the bloodline pure, a little bit of a dig against <laughs> our Targaryens, and so Damon is sort of snickering at the ridiculousness of this. Aegon looks bored, as per usual. Laenor is super upset. This is something we're going to talk about in a minute. And we have our dragons flying overhead. After the rites are finished, Rhaenyra asks Jace to go comfort his cousins, who seem very upset. He comes back at her saying, I have an equal claim to sympathy. We should be mourning the strongs. And he's not wrong. They no. just lost their mother, but actually we lost our father and we're not even allowed to talk about it or <laughs> look like we're upset. Yeah, it's got to be very difficult for a kid to understand. So he does try to go over and comfort them. He's not really sure what to say, but eventually one of the girls reaches out her hand and he just sort of holds it and stands there with her. It's a sweet moment. It is. And we know now it's uh, a reflection of what's soon to come. What I enjoyed was the dichotomy between the way the Valerian have their funerals as compared to the Targaryens. Mm -hmm. So the Targaryens are really about their dragons, so they are burned in their funeral. And as we know... The Valerians are seamen, mm -hmm. so it's all about the ocean, return to the ocean. And it is a very beautiful kind of ritual. I still think the one I like best out of all of Game of Thrones was the Tully funeral, where they combine the two. They set the body out to drift onto the sea, but before it could get too far, they shot the flaming arrow at it. Remember, this is when Edmure couldn't. He reach his mark, yeah. but eventually it would light it on fire as it sort of drifts out to sea, it which was a beautiful combination of the two. And Lena's casket was gorgeous. Mm. It looked like it was mostly stone, except mm -hmm. for the face that was wood. Yep. That was pretty incredible. Also, coming back to the kids, you have the strong children trying to establish a relationship with Damon and Lena's girls. As much as they're 
kids and they don't really know what to say, they are going over and offering that comfort. It does seem more natural. Whereas you have Eamon come over and try to attempt the same. He stands there for a minute, can't really find his words, but they don't say anything to him mm-hmm. and he doesn't say anything to them. And you think this is probably one of many missed opportunities. You could see Allison's children either by their choice or the choice of the rest of the group not melding together. And of course, you also get Helena, Allison's daughter, speaking cryptically again, playing with a spider, but they pay more attention now to the, let's say, prophetic things she's talking about. (laughs) She says, hand turns loom, spool of green, spool of black, dragons of flesh weaving dragons of thread. We can talk about that as we move on. I don't think we really know what the meaning is. Of course, we're going to have the greens and the blacks separating into factions, but what are dragons of flesh versus dragons of thread? And we also get Laris there, who we don't actually see much of in these two episodes, but we find out he is, in fact, new Lord of Harrenhal. His plan worked. He's staring at Allison kind of openly and ridiculously looking pleased with himself. And then Corlys goes over to tell Luke that his brother will rule everything one day, but he will be Lord of the Sea. He'll have all of this as his birthright. And Luke's sort of like, great, I don't want any of this. If I'm appointed, that means everyone else is dead. That is, in fact, what's going to come to pass very soon. Unfortunately. I mean, things are moving so fast. These kids are very smart. Rhaenyra's kids? Oh, yeah. It's not very obvious, and they look young, so I think... It's easy to discount them, but we're going to see in the next episode, Jace kind of preparing to be king, studying High Valyrian. They have a good beat on the way things go down in this world. They're good kids. The juxtaposition between them and Allison's kids. Oh, man. Yeah, we'll get there because her kids are just trouble. And this is the part where we kind of scan out to the beach and we see Lenor standing out in the sea, in the water. I mean, is he thinking about killing himself here? What's happening? Because that's kind of the feeling that I get. And I'm wondering if this is what prompts Rhaenyra to take the action she does later. Like the position this has all put him in, and myself included, has really taken a toll too. He's never going to find happiness here. Yeah. He might actually do something stupid one of these days. We need to find a way to get him out. Well, yeah, he's completely defeated. He's, quote unquote, drowning in life right now. And what's up with his own father? Won't even go talk to him. Corley sends Carl to go retrieve him. Like, go get your guy. Well, he feels ashamed by him because the father knows everything he was trying to set up is null and void because all those kids are not his. Yeah, but I get the feeling he's actually more accepting of the children as Lenor's than Rainey's, as we're going to come to find out. When they have this big kind of argument between the two of them, the first we've really seen, Corley's is going to push the name being the most important, right? That's what matters in this world, passing your lineage down through your name. That's why he was okay with the deal that they struck with Viserys. Sure, the person who comes to rule eventually, Jace, will become a Targaryen, but the rest of these kids will be Valerions. Meaning when Luke comes of age, he'll remain a Valerion. He'll stay here and become the next Lord of the Tides. He is not as concerned with the fact that this isn't Lenor's son, and perhaps because he knows Lenor's not going to father any children, yet he regarded these as his kids. Lenor brought them up as his children and loved them that way, and it seems like he kind of does as well. Whereas Rainey's is later going to say, no, no, it's blood that matters. Those kids are not our children's blood, and if you're so concerned with keeping things in the family, 
and paying justice to me, because I was passed over to be queen once, why don't we keep it within our family and pass it down to our granddaughters? Well, basically she's saying, if it really didn't bother you, Corlys, that me being a woman, becoming the queen, then it shouldn't bother you if our daughters rule this place. It passes through the female line, but that would mean the name would go extinct eventually. Because those girls, while blood of his, do not carry his last name. And that, yeah, if they're the queen, they can carry it. Really. Well, that seems to matter more to him, the naming of it, because Jace and Luke aren't his blood, but they do have the Valerian name. Right. So it's tough. I mean, I see what she's saying about keep it in the bloodline, but at the same time, she's completely excommunicating these kids as Lane. They're not Lainor's kids because he didn't give birth to them. But he sees them as kids. He was raising them that way, wanted them to inherit. It's tough. Well, Rhaenys is very politically smart. She knows that at this point it's a losing battle and everyone is aware that those boys are strongs. So I think she's worried. If she took the same position I was suggesting, though, if she wants to be a feminist and see women have that same opportunity, she could say the same thing. They're Rhaenyra's kids, and what else matters? That makes them Targaryens. But they're so devoted to the Valerian side of things that they can't do that. You know, it's like everybody's so concerned with propagating their own position that this is what gets them into trouble. This is what's gearing towards civil war. Anyhow, back to... The funeral here, Viserys approaches Damon and tries to make things right with him again. He tells him that the gods can be cruel, taking his wife away. You should return with us to King's Landing. It's time that you came home. Pentos is my home. And that of my children. Damon, I know we've had our differences, but let them pass with the years. There's a place for you in my court. That's something you should need. I need nothing. And we see him kind of throw a glance to Otto. If you're going to continue with that nonsense, I'm certainly not going to come back and be a part of your court. Well, he even has something to say to Otto. Sorry for your loss, my prince. No matter how fat the leech grows, it always wants for another meal. I can understand where Damon's coming from. You've casted me out twice now. I have nothing to go back to. Also, I gotta say, I'm falling more and more in love with this character every episode. And yeah, he should have made him hand. This was the opportunity, right? To patch yeah. things up, to actually show him that he needed him rather than bringing Otto Snake in the Grass back, which we see this is gonna be the last chance because he gets so sick after this that it winds up being Alicent and Otto who are really ruling things there. I don't understand why he would take him back. Plus... It's just so weakened. He's telling him again like he's always done in the past, I can give you a position to help you, right? To fix your problems again. What he wants is to hear, I miss my brother and I need you. Mm-hmm. Will you please serve as my hand or whatever because I need you here, not because I'm giving you this sort of pity offer, right? That's how he's seeing it. And we also see as Viserys is going to walk in, he's tired now, he turns to Allison and says, I'm going to bed, Emma. Uh, yeah, but that never comes back. Well, you know, it makes you start questioning here if he's losing it, if he's getting old. You know, is this just sort of one example of what we've seen? Or what I think. This is what's always in his heart. Sometimes when he looks at Allison, he sees her. He wishes he was still married to her. During funerals, you you tend to reflect on your life. I think he was doing some hardcore reflection. 
And that's why he wanted to talk to Damon. Mm-hmm. And for sure he was thinking about his deceased wife. Mm-hmm. So I don't really blame him for that slip up. Also, uh, the only thing I blame him for is just being so blinded by Allison all these years. Well, and really, when we look back, it seems like this was the turning point. If he was ever going to do something, he needed to start it here to establish something different, knowing he was very sick and his time was going to be limited. And he didn't. He doesn't try until next episode when it's too late. Way too late. But I still, mad props. Oh, I can't wait. I It's... Epic episode for him next time. However, finishing up here, this is where later on Rainey's and Coralie's have their talk. She thinks that Lena wanted to come home and Damon denied her. Damon's always doing only what's best for him. That's going to be an important point later. If she decides to side with them, she still has animosity towards Damon. Mm -hmm. She thinks he's done the wrong thing. And then by next episode, she's also going to think Rhaenyra did the wrong thing. By her son, so of course she's not going to be eager to jump back into an alliance with them. Corley's thinks it wasn't on them. You know, the surgeons in Pentos are just as well trained. They did what they could. This was an act of the gods. But she still thinks they may be being punished for their pride. And it's time for them to stop lying and be honest with each other. That Corley's hasn't done all this just because he wants to get her justice for not getting the crown. It's his own ambition Mm. that he's following. And this is when they have the argument about changing their inheritance. And Corley's thinks this would be disinheriting their son and his kids, you know, wherever they come from. Sort of, they're still our grandkids. And Rainey's is saying, well, our children that are actually Valerians are Lena's children. And that's kind of where we're going to leave that for now. Over to Rhaenyra walking with Damon. This is one of the big moments we're going to have here. She loves that beach. Yeah. <laughs> She tells him the truth. She thinks Lenore has been restless for years now, and it's only going to get worse. Their marriage is a farce, uh, but she's making an effort to maintain appearances, doing everything she can. They did, in fact, try to conceive a child. We had wondered at this, what happened to that arrangement, and it didn't work. So, yet again, I go back to she's kind of done everything she could here. This is not their fault. There was no joy in it. She found that what she could with Harwin who was devoted to her. And she still doesn't believe Allison is capable of murder. She doesn't think she was culpable in Harwin's death. Well, she wasn't necessarily. Laris was. And who set the dogs for Laris? I know, but I mean, she was right that <laughs> Allison wasn't capable of murder. That's not what she was asking for. But at this point, especially after episode eight, I think she will be more than capable. And if it's your lackeys doing it, you're still guilty for sure yeah she also thinks damon abandoned her you know he keeps disappearing for years at a time telling her he wants her and then piecing off it's true (laughs) um but they kind of forgive each other they kiss and they sleep together it's actually what they are turning into quite a romantic kind of passionate scene here if we can put all else aside from what we see later on that are actually at least for now going to be quite a good couple it seems that way and i hope it stays that way i want to cheer on Renera and Damon. I want to be on their side. Mm-hmm. I want to feel good about being on their side. Oh, but here it comes. Then we go over to Eamon sneaking out on the beach. Following, looking for something. We have a guess and it's confirmed that it's Vagar. I mean, talk about aiming your goals very high. <laughs> yeah, this kid is not lacking in ambition. Yeah. Huh? That's or, for sure. At this point, desperate. 
this could be my only chance. But also we're going to feel, and I didn't think about this later, how wrong this is. Mm -hmm. That that was Lena's dragon. One of her daughters also does not have a dragon. This should have been hers to claim. Absolutely. It is the night of the funeral. He's going to say later, why didn't you claim him then? (sighs) She's grieving for her mother. He could have given her a couple of days. And he obviously doesn't care about that. It's more important getting a dragon on his side. So we see that Vagar is at first annoyed. He starts to build the fire up in his throat like you've been talking about. You could see it inside. Love it. But Eamon holds his ground. He commands him to yield, stops him from firing, climbs on the saddle, and takes him for a ride. Uh, He struggles to hold on at first. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was comical but also beautiful to watch. You can see that this dragon is huge. He's massive, and he's old. So he doesn't move like the other dragons. A little slow, a little creaky at first. So it takes a while to get that bus moving. But then once he starts moving... You're in for it. Yeah. I mean, he's just literally hanging on by the reins at some points. Uh, But he finally gets the hang of it. He completes the ride, comes back in, and he finds all of his cousins. And this is where the girls accuse him of stealing the dragon. It was Bela's to claim, her mother's dragon. And you can see how upset the girls are. How much emotion is going on right now? Mm -hmm. Because you can't take this back. You can't change it. We've heard once a dragon's bonded to you, he won't respond to any other. That's it. So they start fighting. The girls jump in. They actually start fist fighting. And at first, it's sort of cute and funny. You're like, oh, good. They're just going to slug it out. You know, figure it out for themselves. Kids will be kids. Until Eamon picks up a giant rock. Yeah. When he's fighting Jace, like he's literally going to kill him and smash his face in. And he was going to. I have no doubt. And I hate how we thought maybe this kid had, perhaps would be nicer than his older brother. But as soon as he rode that dragon, he comes back all swagger and asshole. And now he's going to kill with a rock. I mean, people talk about Luke bringing out the knife and how that was over the top, took the thing to another level. But he did that because Eamon picked up that rock. He had yeah. to defend his brother. He had no other choice. What I was mean, he going to do? Else he was tried he do? to fight him and he got thrown away. Yeah. Because he's so much smaller. You so can't just let him bash his brother's head in. I wouldn't have gone for the face. <laughs> but Yeah, but it, you see that it's kind of an accident. Like he takes a wild swing at him yeah. and it winds up hitting the eye. In just such a way that it takes the eye out. I don't think that's what he was intending. He wasn't aiming to kill him. He wasn't aiming to take the eye out. He was just trying to get him to stop is what it looked like to me. Mm -hmm. Really desperate sort of like, I'm still a kid kind of. And this fight just went to a level that I wasn't prepared for. And I have to defend my brother. And I think that's important because when they talk about all this later, they're going to talk about the fact that Eamon taunted them about being bastards. And this is what made them rise to the fight with him. He did, but it was pulling out the rock that caused him to do that. Nobody ever says, like, Eamon almost killed my brother. Right. That's why I went back at him with a knife. Yeah, no one, I I couldn't get over the fact that no one brought up the rock. They just keep talking about the bastards comment, which annoyed them, but that's not really the crux of things here. Well, thank goodness the guards come in, find them and stop this, but it is too late for Eamon. He winds up losing the eye. We see this horrible stitching that the maesters give him. They're not very good at this, I don't think. They go and they tell the series, and this just turns into a three-ring circus. How come this family doesn't know about privacy? I like they always have these fights know. in front of everybody. It's kind of ridiculous. 
Allison blames Aegon initially for not watching his brother, which, true, like, what is this kid ever doing as an older brother? Viserys questions Aemon and learns that he was calling Rhaenyra's kids bastards. Yeah, it's a lot to be thrown into, and there's a lot of emotions going on. Aegon is an alcoholic already, <laughs> yeah. and we'll see that that's not going to change. He's completely disconnected from what's going on with the rest of the kids, with the kingdom. He could give a shit. And now we have tempers rising. Everything was already on thin edge. Yeah, and this is where it's going to become all about, you called them bastards. Where did you hear this? It's propagating rumors. It should have never even gone to that point. It should have been about the kids fighting each other and the violence in the in-house and, you know, teaching them not to do that. But they do kind of take it to this next sort of trial level. Like they make Eamon say where he heard that. He looks at his mother. He's ready to say it because everyone knows this has clearly come from her. How is it not obvious? What is this mummer's farce? I mean, Viserys knows it too. But it's just like the same thing with Otto and Harwin. He's not going to do anything about it until it plainly comes out of someone's mouth. It was Alicent who said it. And at the last minute he says, uh, it was Aegon. Which is something they would all believe, right? It makes a lot of sense. And Aegon sort of does not deny it. And he says, well, everybody knows it. Everybody's saying this. I don't understand. So Viserys gets angry and tells them all to put their quarrels aside. He's had enough. He just wants them to make peace. But again, you can't just say something and then have it be. Mm-hmm. You've got to go about it a different way. And Allison thinks that's not nearly enough. She swears she wants vengeance for her son, justice. It should be an eye for an eye. And she orders Kristen to take Jace's eye in return. So not even the the one who pulled the knife. This is like a Cersei and Game of Thrones situation. Yeah, Any very, dire wolf will do right now. Very reminiscent. You know you've gone wrong when even Kristen Cole thinks there's a problem with your behavior. He looks at her sort of like, ah, that's not really my job. My job is to protect you. I'm not really supposed to maim kids. I don't think that was in the description. And yet, I'm still sort of wondering if pushed to it, I think he might do it. Oh, yeah. He's very reluctant, but if anybody gave him the go-ahead or just stopped talking. Or if they were alone. Which is just horrible, just despicable. But Viserys turns to Alicent and says, the conversation is finished. That's not going to happen. We're not doing an eye for an eye, taking out more kids' eyes here. What is that going to solve? And furthermore, anyone who speaks these lies about Rhaenyra's kids' parentage again... He'll have their tongue removed. Still not resolving anything. <laughs> nope. And this is where Allison loses it because it's about to be over. He's declaring everything done and starts to walk away when she reaches for his Valyrian steel dagger. You went too far. I was I done, but what was expected of me? Forever upholding the kingdom, the family, the law. Will you flout it all to do you, please? Alicent, let her go! Where is duty? Where is sacrifice? It's trampled under your pretty foot again. Release the blade, Alicent. And now you take my son's eye. And to even that you feel entitled. Exhausting, wasn't it? Hiding beneath the cloak of your own righteousness. But now they see you as you are. Alison does stab her in the arm. There's a pretty big scar that we're going to see long afterwards. Yeah, but I would venture to say Rhaenyra did that on purpose. She allowed it because she the last thing she says is to egg her on because everyone's watching and she wants everyone to see the yeah, real her. I've known this was going on all the time. I've known what you've been telling your kids, the poison that's been happening here. Everybody thinks that you are this pious 
woman who's just been wronged on all accounts here by the crazy Tar- Targaryen chick, Rhaenyra, who's just rubbing her bastards in your face, doing whatever she wants, but that's not the truth. As she's stopping her and sort of standing in front of her son, Rhaenyra says, exhausting, wasn't it? Hiding under the cloak of your own righteousness. But now they see you as you are. And everybody watching, that's when she stabs her. And as soon as she does, it seems to kind of break Allison's rage spell. She drops the knife. She turns. It is the end of it. And she, even she's not going to be in trouble for this from nope. Viserys. No one's in trouble. He's just going to try to brush it under the Go rug. Go after a kid's eye. Stab your daughter with your own knife. <laughs> the kid's eye, that's done already. What are you going to do if, if you're not doing eye for an eye justice? And how are you going to do that to kids? But this is your wife going after your daughter. Yeah, he has to sit them down. He has to find out really what happened with the fight. What's going on? They never even mentioned that he stole the dragon. Viserys should know. I'm dying soon. I can't just tell everyone, hold your tongues or else I'll get upset. Because when I die, this all falls apart. Yeah, and your kids are sort of a menace. Maybe you should take a hand here in figuring out what's going on with Aegon and Aemond. Throw him off the... (laughs) And to make matters worse, the next day, Alicent seems very chagrined. She feels really bad about this. She shouldn't have done it. She lost control of herself, disgraced herself. She knows rumors are going to be flying that she lost her mind. She's telling all this to her father. Mm -hmm. Again, mistake number five million for Alicent. And Otto says, "Um, you know what? She's right, but also good on you. And yet, I've never seen that side of you, my daughter. I even doubted its existence. It was an ugly thing. I regret it. We play an ugly game. And now, for the first time, I see that you have the determination to win it. Rhaenyra. You see her for what she is. What the king's stubbornness has wrought. What will he say to me? He'll forgive you. What else can he do? Now go to him. Be penitent. Plead the injury to your son. Keep a grip on your passions. And I promise you, in time, you and I together will prevail. What that rogue Aemond has done in winning Vega to our side... The boy was right. It's worth a thousand times the price he paid. I just want to reiterate how good Reese Fonts is. Yeah. That scene alone was amazing. How much do you hate him? I mean, the brainwashing <laughs> just continues. Not only should you not feel bad about it, this is what I was trying to see if you had in you all along. And you know what? Eamon was right. It was worth the price he paid to get a dragon. And he was right. They win. Until later. He even says it himself. Eamon, at the end of this argument, you know what, Mom? It's fine. Let it go. This was a small price to pay. I got the biggest dragon. I got the dragon. I'm willing to give up an eye for that. Well, that's the end of that epic night. The next day, Allison and Viserys travel back to King's Landing via ship. He is looking ill. Aboard the ship, Larys tells Allison that what happened was an outrage. I said we don't see much of him, but this is really the critical scene because... He's doing that kind of unnoticed puppy dog thing. Yeah. Like, so I did all this stuff. Is it good? And you want to do anything else? Are you noticing me? And she is really assessing here. She's clearly terrified at first, like I said, of this weapon that has seemingly gotten way out of her control. But instead of responding the way she did last time, now that she is a player, quote unquote, in the game, she steadies herself. She turns to him and says in a very Cersei-like way, you know what, it's not necessary right now, thank you, but your devotion hasn't gone unnoticed, and if I want vengeance, I know you're the person to call. The day will doubtless come when I require such a friend, 
with not only skill, but discretion as well. Laris is going to be a big player in these next coming episodes, and he's just a fighting dog laying and waiting. And you can immediately see his whole demeanor when she says that just change. Like, oh, that's all I wanted. Good, I'll, I'll be ready. Just let me know when you need something. Eh, and I, ca- I hope Damon kills Larry's before he makes too much trouble. But I don't of course think he's anybody's going to know about Larry's until he's made too much trouble. Uh, meanwhile, back on Driftmark, Rhaenyra and Damon both stay back. And she goes to him to have this very important conversation. She tells him that she needs him. She can't face the Greens alone. She says, with you as my husband, my claim wouldn't be so easily challenged. After all, the Valerians are of the sea, but you and I are made of fire. We've always been meant to burn together. And he agrees. He wants this as much as she does, but he points out, well, we can't do this. We can't marry unless Lenor is dead. We'll see how this plan is going to unfold. First, Rhaenyra is being stitched up by the maester when Lenor enters, saying he should have been there. You know, she says that should be their family motto. <laughs> yeah. Um, he thinks he's failed her. He says Carl is returning to the fighting in the Stepstone soon, but he will stay and recommit himself to her. She deserves better. He promises to be a good husband, help raise the children, prepare her for her ascension to the throne. After that, we see Damon goes to speak with Carl separately. His murder hood up. (laughs) We are definitely getting the wrong impression of what's going down here on purpose. They're misdirecting. I thought this was so well done, the way they're pancaking the conversation Rhaenyra and Damon are having with what's going on, I'm starting to think to myself, oh, shit, I know we deal with the gray of everybody, but this might be unforgivable. Up to this point, I'm team Rhaenyra. Well, and the other tough part is we've been saying for episodes now that at some point soon, Lenor is probably going to be killed. That's where we see the plot going. There's, there's no way out of this except for that to happen. So now you're like, oh, no, like this totally does make sense, but... They just had this conversation. You see how much they might not have an intimate romantic relationship, Rhaenyra and Lenor, but she does love him. They care for each other. He yeah. just promised to give up everything that could potentially make him happy to be there for the family. It could have been worse for Rhaenyra. She could have been with someone who's just a pure asshole. He was at least a good guy. He seemed genuine. He was nice. He liked to enjoy himself. He was a fighter. They just didn't have that spark. That's the only thing that was missing. Well, and they both talked about how impossible it seems to actually find happiness in this world. And you get the feeling she really wants to give that to him. So they're really confusing you here because, I mean, we also wouldn't totally put it past Damon to do this, right? And yet it seemed like he had changed in these intervening years that we were seeing sort of a new Damon. And yet now he's having this conversation with Carl, looking very sketchy, offers to pay him a lot of money to kill Lenore. Mm-hmm. And they're cutting back and forth between her and Damon having this conversation about it. You know, Rhaenyra is saying she wouldn't want to be a tyrant who rules only through terror, it makes it sound like. He tells her, if you're to be a strong queen, you have to cultivate love and respect, but your subjects must also fear you. And she also says, because she loves him, this would be setting him free. Uh, You know, you could read it that way, too. Uh, People might whisper she's responsible but their enemies won't know the truth and they'll fear what else she might be capable of. Uh, another part of these moves that she's making, she does love Damon. She's obviously wanted him since she was younger. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, a part of her that went to him and said, 
I think we should get married was also I need strength. I need allies. I need you by my side to help me. And clearly this is a part of it, that he knows how to be a fierce dragon ruler, a partner. Yeah, and she sees the chess pieces are moving against her. And with her having Damon by her side, that only cements her claim even further. Mm -hmm. Never mind just strength. I'm talking political strength as well. And now I'm always thinking, especially in the next episode, when Damon steps up, I'm like, someone please step to him. I want to see Damon kill somebody, which he does, which was perfect. Oh, we'll get there. In the back of my head, I'm thinking... There is one fighter we saw best, Damon, Mm -hmm. and he's still out there, and he's on the wrong team. Oh, and something else, too. We'll talk about that next episode. So potentially two, in my mind, who could physically take him now. That's going to be a problem. But back to this moment, we start to get some action. They cut between the scenes of Carl approaching Lenor in a place where people will see, people will notice this, and he kills him. Yeah, there was a servant there. They made sure the servant saw it and then let him run away to get help. Mm -hmm. We saw on the way there, someone was killed, but we were just thinking he needed to kill that person to get into the room. Yep. And then we see him burn the body. And it's a passionate fight. And the way they're talking, I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, it it totally adds up. You see how upset Rhaenys and Corlys are. I mean, this is their only other child. They've lost so much. Horrible weekend. And right after this, we get this sort of rushed, quiet marriage between Rhaenyra and Damon, which I did not see coming that quickly. Not at all, but you got to move quick, huh? Yeah, and it is a beautiful ceremony, clearly very traditional Targaryen. We haven't gotten a chance to see that yet. I really liked it. Yeah, but pretty ballsy to do it in Leonor's neighborhood. Oh, absolutely. But just looking at the sort of ceremony of it, what we've seen before are people being married in the, in the light of the seven, in a religion that feels a lot more like Catholicism, where this felt a lot more like pagan rituals. Mm. You know, they're, they're smearing the blood on each other, the intensity of it, the passion that they have. It was really nice. It was well done. They've done a good job of bringing us over to wanting to see these two together. And once again, straight from GOT, the costuming cannot be outdone with these shows. This is a a power couple, that's for Mm -hmm. sure. I mean, we're having all these mixed emotions, but then luckily we get this last scene where we see Carl rowing away on a boat with a man who's got a shaved head. Who's that? It's Lenor. Those are the types of moments that we love in this world, in this universe. And I'm talking G-O-T, H-O-D. And House of the Dragon has been delivering lately on those moments. It is the perfect twist, especially because uh, from what I hear, of course, I didn't read this myself, but it's different from the book. So this surprised even book readers. With that reveal, then you start thinking to yourself, okay, so I'm really understanding where Rhaenyra is coming from. She does love him, just not in that way. And I wondered how that conversation went. He just said that he'd be here more often. He was going to stop his life to be better. I wondered if she came in and said, listen, you're going to be miserable. That You're not going to be happy. You're in love. You're going to be gonna physically in danger. Yeah. As you have been this whole time. We just talked about how impossible it is to be happy in this world. If there's a way I can make that happen for you, let's try to do it because then maybe there's something that I can find in happiness for myself here. We'll keep doing what we've always been doing, which is 
the most we can in our given situation. Is it going to be ideal? No, he has to leave his family. His parents think he's dead. He has to leave his dragon, which that brings up a whole other set of questions of what happens to a dragon such as that now. But Well, that was actually the next thing I was going to bring up. In my head, until they prove otherwise, he had the dragon stay tight for a little bit and then meet them. I don't think he can do that because if anybody ever sees that, it's going to give up the whole gig. Even if they don't see Lenor himself, why is that dragon hanging around this island all the time? You know, like it's just a clear... Well, it depends on where they go, right? You're not going to miss that. What if they that. go all it's the way cause east? cause too many rumors, too many problems. There's nowhere that a dragon is going to go unnoticed for any length of time. I am of the idea that he had to disconnect from that. And it, it does create an issue I could see them playing with coming up to this war of who's got what dragon, how many are out there. There's only so many eggs. If there's a pre-existing one, we just saw this with Vagar. And I think that was to set partially that up, that you could take one, you could steal one. Now, the question other people are asking, and it is worth thinking about, is that worked because Lena was dead. Right. If the rider is still alive, does the dragon know that? Will it then bond to somebody else because it's supposed to be for life? Would he think Lenor is dead? Like, you know, we just don't know. There's too many factors there, but it becomes interesting. On top of that, will he come back someday? At some point, I could see that perhaps happening. If He's taking this deal to be happy, but if he hears of enough impending danger or something for his family, I wouldn't put it past him to return. But this is just the kind of beautiful twist that does work where shows are so often now just seeking it for the sake of it and it doesn't fit cleanly or it doesn't make sense to do it this was a real win moment and we haven't been getting many on this show so I really enjoyed it well let's stop there for a second and make it official give our dragon fire rating to episode seven Driftmark. so episode seven was one of those weird ones because the first half of it was very felt very slow but still intriguing because there was a lot going on and then it amped it up with infighting and deaths and, of course, that ending. I think I'm going to continue to go up. So I'm just going to go up one tick from We Light the Way, episode five, which I gave a nine, and I'm going to give a 9.1. Ooh, higher than the wedding episode. Yeah, definitely. Wait till you hear the next one. Well, I can't go higher than that because I still like the wedding episode better. But I am going to go up from all my other ratings and just give it a solid nine. Of course, we'll be giving our MVBs for both later on. But next, we're going to move on to episode eight, The Lord of the Tides. And I am so excited to talk about this episode. We open up with another time jump six years later. I think this might be the last one, but I'm not sure. Like I said, I don't really know where we're going with this. We're on Driftwood, and Rainey says it's been six years since she last saw her husband, Corliss. These people just go hopping off. Like, Rhaenyra didn't see Damon for three years when he was at war in the Stepstones and another couple of years. Like, So what is it? He just left after his son died, and he was like, you deal with the emotions. I'm out. I'm going to go fight. I think the same way Lenor was about to take off and pursue fighting in the Stepstones again, you know? But she's asking now, she needs to know what will become of him. Will he live? We find out Maester Kelvin tells her that Corley's led his men into an ambush in the fighting. His neck was slashed. He lost a lot of blood. But the real problem was the fever that followed. The maester said it burned from within. So some kind of infection that's carrying on or blood poisoning or something that could be super dangerous. It doesn't sound good for Corley's. 
The ravens came from Evenfall, so they should arrive in about three days, which makes it a little curious that she decides to hop off to King's Landing for this succession thing, knowing it's only going to be three days until she finds out if he actually lives or not. Uh, in my head, because they don't make it obvious, she already she stayed those three days. He came back, and it, once he passed, she went. Oh, I don't think so, because I don't think we know one way or the other yet what happened to Corley's. They kind of put a point on that. And that's, it is a big question mark. Also, he's been gone for six years, so she's got shit to do. Well, that's true, too. This gets more complicated because his brother, Vaymond. Who I used to like, by the way. uh, We started to get some inklings in Lena's funeral when he was making those snide comments about Rhaenyra's kids. And, you know, Damon's kind of sniggering. He was being pretty forward about it. He's pretty nonchalant saying, I've seen blood fever claim younger men than him. Like, kind of, it's a done deal. And so we got to figure out who's going to take the, the driftwood throne if he dies. Initially, Rainey's is like, well, it's going to pass to Lucerius because that's what my husband wanted. He made that pretty clear. But Vayman thinks he's the only true blood Corlys has left. Only a real Valerion. He wants her support, but guess what? He doesn't need it. After all, it's not really Viserys ruling right now. Intent, it's Alicent. I think I'm going to make a go for. This is a bad move. Man, does he not know Rainey's at all? Did you catch the way Rainey's was sitting on the throne? It was chill but powerful. And it was definitely purposeful the way they made her sit. It was like nonchalant but also comfortable, confident. Yes. Well, she was ready to rule the whole seven kingdoms at one point. She can't have that. She'll take Driftmark. And uh, I think she'd be a fine ruler. Enough nonsense here, Vaymond. In the meantime, we see Damon doing some uh, pretty physical work here, scaling this, I think it's a volcano that sits behind the castle. Yep. And he goes down into the crevice looking for the clutch of dragon eggs. We find out that Cyrax brought forth three. It's definitely a volcano because the castle sits on top of a volcano. Mm. And it, it, it kind of looked like that. Like there was still some steaming oh, yeah. going on. Perfect spot for eggs, dragon mm-hmm. eggs. Uh, one thing I didn't, I forgot to point out, and something I, I fully respect the Valerians for, is they let their dragons live free. Mm. Free range, grass fed <laughs> dragons. And probably more like what it was in old Valeria. Yeah. I mean, was it the 14 flames? It, it had sounded like an eruption of volcanoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it would make sense that that's where they're most comfortable. So they looked for a spot similar. It sounds smart to me. And what's going on here? Is Damon technically stealing these eggs? No, I don't think so. It's not like last time. So, I mean, Cyrax is Rhaenyra's dragon. Those are her eggs? I just, I don't know how this works. It seems a little bit on the sly that he's doing it. He brings him back out and he tells the men to put it in the warming chamber. I would not be losing sight of those. Well, those men are the dragon tamers. I still, <laughs> with everything that's going on right now. Well, it's been six years they've been living there. I'm sure they have a good feel of where they are with those houses. Well, yeah, but like as far as we know, there's still one of the daughters who doesn't have a dragon. Mm-hmm. That I might be I maybe hope it's they're for. Get, they're planning on giving it's one his to her. daughters. Yeah. And there's two more there, so we can't forget about mm-hmm. those three eggs. They will come into play later. They kind of put this in your head because no sooner does he say that than he gets a message delivered from Bela, one of his daughters, saying that Vaman means to question Luke's legitimacy. And this would, of course, mean Rhaenyra's by extension. So Damon goes to find a 
yet again pregnant Rhaenyra. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she's helping Jace, who's studying High Valyrian. We talked about him taking it very seriously, knowing he might rule someday. He tells Rhaenyra the news, fearing that Vaemon's made cause with Otto, so this is going to be real trouble. And she thinks they have no choice but to go to King's Landing. Uh, agreed. Once again, they make they take the time to show you how much better of human beings... The kids are? Th- those kids are. <laughs> yes, I know. It's really becoming obvious. So they head out. They get to King's Landing, but they arrive to a non-ceremonious greeting. There is no one other than Lord Caswell who, like, runs out late of the gates. It's very reminiscent to when the king came to Driftmark because there was no one there. Yeah. But this time, if the king was well enough, he would have been out there. And at least, I think Lena was there to greet Viserys. I mean, there's really nobody here. Caswell comes out, and nobody's there once they go inside. So they sort of just go right to Viserys' chambers to see him. And this is where the scenes of amazingness begin. I mean, this is one of my favorites that isn't being talked about as much as the others. But the way that both Rhaenyra and Damon are reacting to seeing their father again. Yeah. Father, brother again. I mean, the acting in this show, there's no complaints here. Matt Smith is doing phenomenal. And I know we're one of many people that have been saying how well Patty Considine is, but this just puts the nail in the coffin, pun not intended, sorry about that, um, that he deserves some awards. Well, let's set the stage because, I mean, when they walk in, you've got this model that he was working on so passionately for so long, spread out. It's huge, but there's cobwebs all over it. He hasn't even been able to do this for however long. Uh, Where are the people to come in and clean? I mean, why does it look like this? But there's sheets just kind of hanging everywhere the way that they would do when somebody was sick. You know, it, it walls him off. They have to walk through these before they could see him. And once they finally do, we thought he looked like the Crypt Keeper before. Were we wrong about how much worse Ugh. this could actually get? Because his whole face is sunken. It's gray. He's missing an eye, which we can't even see the extent of until later. A whole bunch of teeth. <laughs> We're going to find out half his face. He's in pain. He can barely talk. You know, he's moaning a lot. Like I say, their reactions, Rhaenyra is clearly so upset. You can tell the empathy and the pain she feels for him. Damon is wildly uncomfortable. Like, I can't believe this is my brother. They're only separated in age by a couple of years. Yeah. It's something we saw coming, but it doesn't make it any easier. And I'm sure that's how the family feels. On top of that, He's got vultures in his home, and it feels like he's unaware of it. Well, so they do the typical caring family thing. Like, is he being taken care of? He's getting milk of the poppy. Is it enough? Oh, no. I just smelled that tea. Is it too much? Are they keeping him addled and Mm -hmm. confused so that he can't rule? Uh, Sort of like, why hasn't anybody told us how bad this situation has gotten? And like I say, Damon, he's still trying to approach him like his brother. We need this from you. Right, we need you. This is what's going on. I need you to do this, but he's having such a hard time even looking at him. The way he keeps tracking his eyes back and forth, like it hurts him to even see him like that. It's it's just a beautiful scene, and I think it does a great job of establishing where everything is at. And Rhaenyra trying to cheer him up a little bit, bring some joy back to him, shows him his two new grandkids named Aegon and Viserys. A kingly name. But how many Aegons do we have now? Well, and that's going to cause a whole bunch of problems that 
there is one major frustration for me, and in listening to a lot of feedback and podcasts, it is for many other people. And I did not read the book here. So for me, it's not even like, well, they did something different than what I was expecting. I just think it's very poor writing. But we'll save that till later because there's a million other things that are highlights for me. I don't want to put a damper on it yet. For now, this just reinforces the most important thing to the series has always been the health, the happiness of his family, seeing two more grandkids. Like, it doesn't last very long. He kind of scares them. They start crying, but he tries, right? The fact that he's still alive and talking at all, forget about half the things he does later on in this episode, is a miracle. He's badass in his own way that we haven't seen from the series. We've been looking for some of that gumption. Mm-hmm. Um, he finally musters it this episode. So let's talk about while they are visiting him, the council is meeting, saying that the sneeze... The, the sneeze. S- <laughs> the sneeze. The sea snake never formally named Luca's heir. You know, they're going to try to find some wiggle room here. They intend to name Vaymond because that would be best for the realm during wartime. This is how they're going to help Allison. She needs to find sort of a moral reasoning for herself why she would do this. It's clearly the wrong decision, but she's like, well, you know, you can't have a, a child ruling during wartime. They wouldn't know what to do. And this is interrupted with an important interaction because the guards bring her the serving girl, Diana, who is in great distress. We find out the reason is because her spectacular son, Aegon. Aegon number two. Sexually assaulted her, and Allison first comforts her, saying she believes her, but then in a kind of Cersei-like manner, the politics come into this, you know, others may not. This could be a problem, and basically that she's going to force her into this course of action of giving her money to keep her silence. She better not tell anybody, and she better also drink the special tea so there's no consequences. I don't blame her for that, because she could have just had her killed. I'm not entirely sure that she still doesn't, to be honest with you. Later on, Helena is going to say, where did Diana go? Like, she's normally here to help with the children. Now, I know either way, she's probably going to either be dismissed from service or hushed out of there. Maybe, okay. Maybe that tea was actually poisoned. There have been something else in that tea. When she handed the tea, the whole time I'm thinking, Allison, are you going to piece together in your head what happened with your good friend or used to be good friend when she was young and she was forced to drink a tea? And I would love to see some of that wrestling going on in her mind, like the place she's had to get to where she is the one supporting this patriarchy, supporting all of the ugliness that is the politics of the realm. How did she get backed into this corner and yet now she is the very thing that she hated when she was younger? At this point, there's no turning back and she's not even going to acknowledge those feelings. I just, I wish we could see some of that, what we get a glimmer of later at the dinner. Um, And we do see the disgust that she has for the situation for her son because she goes immediately to Aegon who is barely awake, ass to the wind as per usual, careless. She slaps him, slaps him a lot, Yeah, and says he's no son of hers. But, I mean, Allison, this is not going to do it. And clearly there's been a lot of problems with the parenting here that I don't know if we're turning things around for Aegon. This is part of what makes me so upset if there are insinuations that she believes later on the messages that Viserys wants this Aegon to be the one someday? Come on. You have to know that Viserys knows better. You know better. This kid is the worst. (laughs) 
it almost makes it worse. No, like I don't have any empathy for him when he gets upset and he's now saying, I try so hard, but I know I'll never be enough for you. It feels like a just this very childish, immature. You don't try. Fuck you. It's not good, especially because we're going to find out later. So we knew he was betrothed to his sister, Helena. Yeah. By the way, I don't know how she's going to, Allison, talk her way around that, that she's on this moral uh, we haven't mentioned yet, but her piety has become an increased thing for whatever reason. When they get into the castle, Rhaenyra and Damon remark upon how different everything is. All the dragon insignias and everything that used to be around has been taken down. And now it's the seven. It's the seven. And it's almost as if she's trying to hide her guilt behind religion or her insecurities behind religion. I'm curious about this because there are a couple of different explanations and all could be true. I would love to know what's actually going on here. You know, we saw this was always a part of Alicent's identity from the time she was younger, encouraging Rhaenyra to light a candle mm. for her mother when she lost her, that it had helped her. Something that she obviously clung on to to get through her difficult time. And this is where she... She kind of got very pious with Rhaenyra, making her accusations when she found out the rumors about her. She probably more and more increasingly turned to this as a solace, yes, for feelings of guilt or whatever she couldn't deal with, but also to give her some direction because we see in the council, she's kind of saying like, uh, this is what the father would judge for that. Mm. Uh, let's, Let's pray to the mother for this, like, It's a guiding principle for her to say, if there's ever a tough decision, I'll do what my religion tells me to do. And the last thing is that it could just be the actual power. We have seen the power of religion on this show before, how extreme that can get. And she comes from Old Town, a place that hosts the Citadel and the Maesters, that it's a natural kind of strength to maybe try to get behind herself more if she makes a claim any citizens of the realm who are looking to back somebody who's backed by the religion would now go with her yeah and again we've seen the power in game of thrones i mean cersei almost lost everything to a priest it was pretty scary but now so i'm saying like how does she then explain the fact that she betrothed one child to another that's something that targaryens do their weird customs incest Galore. Uh, my husband, the king, I guess. Like, what could I do? You know, those Targaryens. The reason I bring that up is because we are going to find out that Aegon and Helena have, in fact, married in these intervening years and had kids. We haven't met their kids yet. I didn't even catch that on the first pass. Yeah. How do you like them apples? Ah, uh, that's scary. Well, the other thing that Aegon is feeling guilty about, and another reason why he drinks, is because he went to the top of the castle. And he was throwing pennies off of the top of the castle. And it did indeed kill some people. Because did you know if you throw pennies from a tall building like the Empire State Building, for example, it could kill somebody? Mm, False, Jason. That's right. We did learn that actually is a myth. Yep. Popular misconception. And we learned this and 19 other myths that I'm sure you've heard of all of them. And at least one or two you still thought was true. I did until I did the research. And that is in this month's bonus, coming out next week. And if you haven't joined the crew over at Patreon, what are you waiting for? For $5 a month, you can get bonus episodes and CKC spoiler-free review coffee break episodes, amongst many other things, including the renowned 
award-winning Jason Horrible joke segments, <laughs> terrible table reads. <laughs> but now we go into our interactive section, and one of our clatchers asked us, why haven't you done this in a while? Oh, no. And they're right. We have not provided amazing acting for our clatchers. Oh, no. So now it's time for our... And now, your CKC's Terrible Table Reads. I'm an actor. Do we have to? I've been to Juilliard. Chris, you know I'm a really good actor. I can be Al Pacino. hoo Christopher Walken. Hey, how are you? I'm Tyrion. Where are your dragons? Your dragons. Put a cowbell on them. Are we going to do it with accents? No. That's going to sound bad. I like to keep my hands clean. That's, no. I like to keep my hands clean. don't do that. That sounds like Bron. That's not even his accent. I'm an angry Bron. That's not his accent at all. (laughs) Now, Clatchers, remember, it's terrible table reads. This is going to be terrible. So this month, we will be acting Game of Thrones. We thought it only fit. Just go to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on Patreon, join us over there. You get way more of the CKC podcast. Well, and if you sign up for the movie tier, that is the only place that we currently cover movies. We just did a fun throwback we've been meaning to get around to I Am Legend. But we also cover new movies because next up on the docket is the Stephen King adaptation, Mr. Harrigan's Phone. It's October. Got to watch a little bit of scary. And actually, this wasn't even scary. It was more mentally thrilling. And I actually enjoyed it. I have so much to say about it. I can't wait to podcast about that. If you love the House of Dragons podcast, you'll really love our Patreon podcast. So go on over there. Join us for a month. You get a chance to win free CKC gear. And guaranteed, you'll be hooked. And don't worry. You don't just have this bonus. You have literally two weeks worth if you pressed play and just let it play. Two weeks later you'd still be hearing our voices. That might not be actually 69 good. 69 previous bonus episodes. Yep, this will be number 70. Ooh, speaking of euphemisms, I thought you were making some kind of bizarre euphemism that he was throwing pennies to the last time we saw Aegon standing, cheeks oh, bared yeah, yeah. out the no. window. No. He <laughs> I just was like, literally... oh, I haven't heard this one before. Where are we going? <laughs> well, back to this scene, Allison finally goes to see Rhaenyra and Damon, saying it's been a long time since they've seen each other. Uh, Rhaenyra gets in her dig here about keeping Viserys on Milk of the Poppy. I can never get over movies like this, TV shows like this, where the politics are the main thing, so I'm, I'm sure it happens in real life, where you're meeting someone else who is powerful and you have to, before you start digging a little bit, first of all, you never just show your face and say, you're a bitch! <laughs> But you also have to say, hello, how you doing? I haven't seen you how in a while. good and it you're is like, to see you. Each other. And then you got Damon there in the background. Like, well, he doesn't. Nope, he I doesn't love give that. a shit. Yeah, I love it. Bristling at all the stars of the seven around the castle everywhere. It's been so long since we were granted the joy of your presence. Indeed. Yeah. Your grace. They're not long enough to merit a greeting upon our arrival. I'm sure the queen had pressing business, my love. What can either of us know of ruling a kingdom? I do not rule, as you well know. My father and I are mere stewards of the king's will and wisdom. And how exactly is that wisdom expressed? Hmm? In blinks and wheezes. 
I'd be surprised if he could remember his own name or if you could. King Viserys's condition has worsened since you saw him last. <laughs> it subjects him to considerable pain on the advice of the Maesters. Oh, the Maesters, of course. It is they who keep him addled on milk of the poppy while the high towers warm his throne. Rhaenyra, if you would see him without it, almost blind with suffering. No, Alicent, I have no doubt it was an act of the purest mercy, but tell me, for the king's suffering, did the maesters also prescribe the removal of Targaryen heraldry and the installation in its stead of various statues and stars? The emblems of the Seven serve only to guide us on an uncertain path, to remind us of a higher authority. And on the morrow, which authority will sit in judgment of my son's claim on his own inheritance? That would be mine. Ah. And the hands. But be assured, the father is just and commands me to forget the accusations you have held in this room today. We also see it's not too much easier for their kids. In the courtyard, everyone is staring as Jace and Luke walk around. I, I feel bad for these kids. I do too, but at first they're not even realizing. They're enjoying themselves. They're doing exactly well, Jace what... Jace isn't. Jace yeah. is saying to ignore it. Luke is noticing. Yes, but what I'm talking about is what you felt as a kid after six years. First of all, when you're a kid, six years is a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And you're like, do you remember this? It's so much smaller than what I remember growing mm -hmm. up. And that euphoria, that little bit of euphoria, I could totally relate to. And I was putting myself in their smelly shoes. <laughs> Not only that, they see Kristen Cole sword fighting. This amazing fight, but maybe being bested by somebody, and they realize it's their cousin Eamon, who is looking a heck of a lot different than the last time we saw him. Yeah, uh, he looks pretty badass. 35? Now. How old is this yeah, dude? He looks old as shit. <laughs> he looks grimacing. I would not mess with that dude. And if I would, and if I was going to fight him, I would sneak behind him on his left because he can't see. Well, but apparently he sees everything regardless of that. We'll find that out later. And he is an excellent fighter, potentially even better than Kristen. So that's where when you brought up before that he could take oh, Damon in a fight. He might be. Able to I'm take. guessing Eamon probably could as well. And at this point, yeah. There's some very clear parallels. They even cast an actor. I actually like who they cast to play Eamon. He looks way too old, but he has the perfect look for it. I think he's gonna be really good. And he bears some resemblances to Matt Smith. He does, actually. There's a scene later on when Matt steps up in between the kids and the look on Eamon's face. Wow. Damon? Eamon? Mm -hmm. Okay. The look on Eamon's face is, is almost like respect, as in like I aspire to be like you. Mm. Yeah, I think they are drawing some stuff here that we're meant to see that is eventually going to come back around. I just kind of wish, given the casting of this kid, because you clearly do need him here, that they cast somebody who looked older to play Aegon. Yeah, that's the problem. Aegon looks... Well, maybe the alcohol stunted him. Yeah, but every, I mean, like, it looks like there's at <laughs> least seven years difference, yeah. 10 maybe, between them. And he is just scary. He's scary, but how about uh, looking older or, or more specific, not looking older? Kristen actually looks younger or, like, more vibrant? He doesn't change. <laughs> Otto Hightower doesn't change. It's weird. Some of them age... Like, Viserys obviously ages 20 years every time we see him because he's ill. Yeah. But other characters look vastly different. Some don't look different at all. It's a little strange, but I would say that Aemon was the most startling just because all the other kids kind of look in the same realm sure. of aging up except for him. But, you know, this is where he is in the middle of fighting. He does not look behind him. And yet as soon as it's over, he says, so how are my nephews doing? Do they want to 
a chance mm. here. Like, he just knows all the time what's going on around him. That was an interesting interaction. And then we have another one when Rhaenyra goes to talk to Rhaenys, trying to make a proposition, telling her that she loved her son, Laenor, in fact, did not order to have him killed. And she's not lying. She's not. I had nothing to do with that. And I think Rhaenys she... might believe her, but it's kind of like... He's not killed. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, Rhaenyra wants to make this pact with her to marry her sons to Rhaena and Bela. But Rhaenys denies her, saying she's going to stand alone. She sort of knows how this is going to go down. And I think she's fully intent on ruling herself. She doesn't need allies. I don't know what she thinks she's doing here, but she is going to sing a different tune later on. So let's get to it. The big scene. Otto is holding the proceedings to hear petitions about appointing the Lord of Driftmark. And he's sitting in that throne quite comfortable. You can tell this has been going on for a while. It's the high towers that have been ruling, Allison and her father. Uh, if I was king, if I'm ill, uh, no one sits on my seat. Even if you are being my voice, mm-hmm. you do not sit on my seat. You get a different seat. I'm going to give you a kid's seat, the plastic tiny ones. Yeah. Right in front of my... Or you stand, or you got a podium. Like, what? You don't sit the Iron Throne. It's Vaymond who speaks first for his cause, extolling his true Valerian blood. He speaks very well. Very I, confident. I mean, he does. What I like is I don't look at him saying, no one's going to fall for this or no one will follow him. I can see how easily the people of the city... Just the, like his brother. ...would follow him. Yeah. Just like his brother. And this house has true power. They have dragon riders. They have the navy. I mean, this is why the Targaryens need to keep themselves tied to them because that could be really dangerous. And Rhaenyra knows that. That's why she went to Rhaenys. So (laughs) Rhaenyra is about to entertain the fact that she even has to speak to this when the door opened to the throne room. And guess who walks in, if we could call it walking? The series, I mean, he is hunched over. He's got this gold mask covering half of his face. Love the mask. It makes him look badass. He's found a way to still look... Menacing. Royal. Regal. Royal, yep. He's got the clothes that you can only imagine look like they're just every fabric weighing him down. Oh, yeah. That he literally... It's a mammoth task. He's fighting a war to even stand up, to breathe, forget about walk this incredibly long haul he's determined to do. I mean, it makes it so much more impressive that he's fighting a war internally, physically, and externally with all these people that he's he's ignored these weeds as to not cut them and get in and cause more trouble. But now these weeds have grown and it's getting in the fabric of everything. And it's only because Rhaenyra and Damon came to him, pleaded, you know, you can see him watching Rhaenyra the whole way up there. If this is what you wanted, you have to help us. You know, you named me ruler. You (coughs) wanted us to remain in a time of peace, but all it's doing is creating war. I don't know why you did this. And they don't support me. I'm being challenged left and right. Essentially, without saying it, you haven't done anything all these years. Yeah. You got to make a stand and say something while you still can. And I don't know how she thinks he can. I don't know how he did. But it was important enough to him that he made it happen. He can barely breathe. He gets most of the way there, but then stumbles when he's about to ascend the throne, loses his crown. And this is beautiful. He denies help from anyone else. But Damon bends over, picks it up. And he allows him to help him the rest of the way up. If anybody's going to help him, I think Damon, his brother. 
is the one to help him. It just means so much uh, politically and emotionally. This is all Damon has wanted this whole time, is let me be here to help you, to be your right hand, to serve you. Acknowledge me a little bit, right? Like, it's not just that you're going to help me out, you're going to find me a place at court. I can also be here to help you, so let me do that right now. Yeah. And he does. He gets seated on that throne. Not only is he doing all this, but he manages to make this amazing quip (laughs) where he's like, listen, maybe I'm confused, but I don't know what we're even doing here because this is a matter that was settled already. Why are we having petitions? Very true. For a succession that we already named. Like, good for you to call out how ridiculous this is. And he says, you know, the only one who could even shed some additional light on this is Rhaenys. Because she was married. She's married to Corlys. So Rhaenys steps up and you can tell, as it's shocked everyone else here, seeing him still in any kind of position of power changes Rhaenys' mind. And Viserys is probably the only one that could do it. Rhaenyra knew this. It was ever my husband's will that Driftmark passed through Selenor to his true-born son, Lucerus Valarian. His mind never changed, nor did my support of him. As a matter of fact, the Princess Rhaenyra has just informed me of her desire to marry her sons Jason and Luke to Lord Corlys's granddaughters, Baylor and Rhaena. A proposal to which I heartily agree. Well, the matter is settled. Again. Oh, good on you. I think she started seeing how things will fall apart if she doesn't go that route. She'll lose power regardless. Her kids will be better off this way. And Viserys hasn't sung his last. <laughs> now, we're about to go back to Vaymon and his response mm-hmm. to this. But if, Kletchers, if you watch this again, and you've probably seen this, it's not like it's hidden, but how awesome they filmed the king. He's sick. He still looks sick the way they filmed him on the throne, but they filmed him left and down, so he looks powerful. And again, the way he's sitting and leaning on the throne, although he's kind of folded over, <gasps> the lighting, the mask, the I feel like it was like there was a high dynamic range on the lights and darks on his face. He looks menacing. He looks powerful. He looks exhausted, but it's almost, with the way they filmed it, it's almost a dangerous exhaustion more intimidating like i am this close from just saying off with your head yeah more intimidating than he used to be because as physically weak as he is now we have never seen him with this much conviction yeah i'm gonna come here and do something i'm not just gonna come here and do what i normally do which is to be like whatever i'm not really handling it he's taking some action because he's like what did i say this is already done this is handled. why is this a fight stop talking and he knows he's dying So I think in the back of his head is everything's going to fall apart when I die because everything I've already declared is being ignored already. And why is this happening, Viserys? Because why couldn't you have done this years ago? Yeah. This is what you needed to do. And that's why nobody's going to listen because it's too little too late, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. I'm so happy for him. It's a real heroic moment that he finally takes a stand and battles all of this that he's dealing with because he cares about his family. He loves them. He wants to help them. But you just know the entire time that it hasn't been enough. So yes, he reproclaims Luke, Lord of Driftwood. But at that, Vaiman stands up to protest, calling Rhaenyra's children's bastards and her a whore. 
What a great HOD GOT scene. This felt like a return to the old. The way he's acting, you can tell, and I didn't do research, so I might be wrong, but I feel like he's a stage actor. Yeah, it does feel that way. Uh, because the way he's acting the whole time, it's very expressive. Expressive. Well, I mean, listen, you can hear him signing his own death warrant. And I just love, again, Damon, this entire time, like he's watching him. As he's walking right up to the edge, say it. Like, please just say it. do it. Please make my day. I would love to <laughs> yes. snick your head off right now. And this is exactly what we've been saying about wanting to see Damon in action in a way that we can root for him yes. and not just be like, oh, no, please tell me you didn't have Lenor killed. <laughs> this guy's got it coming, and he does. You know, he's just like, I'm going for broke. I'm doing it. The series bless him. I don't think he could cut a piece of paper in half right now. Butter stands yeah. up, pulls his Valyrian steel dagger, and says, "I'll have your tongue for that." <laughs> You're like, "This is amazing." We know he couldn't, but I'm so happy. And Damon's like, "Listen, you know what? That's all I needed to hear. Don't yep. worry. Don't worry about it, pops. <laughs> You're clearly a little ill right now. I'll just take care of it." And he takes everything but the tongue. I'll let him keep that. He says, "So well filmed." Because you really see the tongue just hanging there. Oh, it's, it is gruesome, <laughs> like a horror I don't know movie. How did that, but I cheered out loud. I was like, "Hell yes!" It's fantastic. Reaffirming that Valyrian steel really does just—it uh, cuts, man. As wonderful as that is, you can see it has obviously taken all of a series strength. Thus, when that's finished, he's carried out of the hall. And now we come to <laughs> the last couple of scenes. In the hall that night, the whole family has dinner. Viserys is determined for this to happen. He enters and declares the evening a celebration. Jace and Luke will marry their cousins, Reyna and Bela, further strengthening that bond. And as he stands, he removes his mask, wishing them all to see him as he is, a man, not just a king. He's saying, this is what I've been living for my whole life, what I've continued fighting against this. I just need to see my family here together, happy. He's sad that they've all grown so distant. He says the crown cannot stand strong if the house of the dragon remains divided. Set aside your grievances. And sure enough, like we say, every time he actually does something, it has an effect because Rhaenyra follows with her own speech. I wish to raise my cup to her grace the queen. I love my father, but I must admit that no one has stood more loyally by his side than his good wife. She has tended to him with unfailing devotion, love, and honor. And for that, she has my gratitude. And my apology. Graciousness moves me deeply, Princess. We're both mothers. And we love our children. We have more in common than we sometimes allow. I raise my cup to you and to your house. You will make a fine queen. She will make a fine queen. And I think she means it. So many thoughts here. The first is, again, 
Too Little, Too Late by Ceres, but I commend you. Mm-hmm. And I understand what you're going through. You, you want to die knowing that your family is tight and strong together. Please stop this nonsense. You're tearing each other apart. But then after this, this is the second time that we've seen Rhaenyra try to mend. Mm-hmm. But I think the issue is she tries to do it in company. She did it last time during mm-hmm. a council meeting. Uh, and now here, if she just talked to her one-on-one, I think it would be a lot better if they just had a... F- if they laid down under that tree again and just chilled for two hours and talked it out. The difference is last time, I don't think Allison was open to it at all, no, no. matter how Rhaenyra did it. This time, and that's what I mean, Viserys really changed things here. Uh, Rhaenyra is able to see what she used to love in Alicent, the fact that you've cared for this man, and that could not have been easy. Look at him. Yeah. And Alicent, likewise, looking at these kids, and you can't help but to say they, they are good kids, right? And for the first time, like, we're not that different. You, you haven't just been out there running around, doing whatever you want to do, whatever she was thinking of that she was jealous of. Like, you've had your struggles, mm-hmm. and you're a mother, too. We still have those things in common. I think, I mean, I'm not 100% confident, but I think things could have been mended from here. But as we've been talking about in the last couple of episodes, which first happened from Otto to Alicent, and now we've been seeing it happen from Alicent to her kids, Mm -hmm. and then in in extension, Rhaenyra's kids, because the way her kids are treating them, it could be okay and mended now. But those kids... Just like we said. The poison's still in there. They passed it on to them. The negative passion towards each other cannot be mended from an old man who, let's be honest, they don't give two shits about mm-hmm. the king like their parents do. Yep. It's too late. They've been poisoned, and we're seeing it right in front of our eyes right now. This does not solve anything, and the only thing that is going to solve it is fighting. Yeah, too much damage has been done, and I think even Viserys kind of knows it. I blame TikTok, these kids. I mean, he looks around at the family, laughing, joking, eating, dancing. So Jace has been ignoring Eamon's many jabs. I mean, this kid just can't stop himself. Makes a toast to his cousins. So again, he is showing that he does want to take this seriously. The first to stand up along the lines with his mother, trying to make peace, says he's making a toast to his cousins while they haven't seen each other that much he still has fond memories from childhood and now as adults they will make good allies like wanting that to happen so Viserys takes this moment kind of like this is the best it's gonna get you know I'm done now he sinks down into his chair and has to be carried out to bed and as soon as that happens more quietly vicious Aemond pushed a little bit too far finally stands up because this roast pig was brought out Mm -hmm. and I don't think this was a plan I think it no, was just brought out to eat, main. but, yeah. you know, Jace, for everything he's been doing right, can't stop laughing. He's still a kid. But let's be honest, that whole joke was brought on from Eamon's older brother. Aegon! It, it wasn't them. Who was the one pushing Jace earlier on, that that's why he asked Helena to dance. Mm-hmm. Helena's insinuating that Eamon is also terrible to her in their marriage, which is disgusting for so many reasons on so many levels. And yeah. obviously people know it and nobody's been doing anything about it. I mean, if I was Jace, I don't know how I'd stop myself from punching them both in the face <laughs> right now. And yet he does the diplomatic thing like, oh, I'll get my dig at you. Uh, why don't we go for a dance, Helena? Right? Like, because I can do that. And yeah, he just has this moment where he 
stoops down to their level, and you could see why. And Eamon snaps, essentially. I mean, he stands for his own toast to his cousins, each of them handsome, wise, strong. He repeats it several times until Jace punches him. Good for you. Ah, but Damon thankfully is there to interrupt. He sends their boys off to their chambers. He can still step in here like this, but it's obvious that he's not going to have that power and authority much longer the way Eamon's eyeballing him. And we get this last moment that Rhaenyra thinks it's time they go back to Dragonstone. Like they can't even be here a day without things overheating. Yeah, and do you think it was genuine when Allison says, can you stay, we should hang out more? She misses her. I think this was a, a momentary glimmer of, yes, I want it to be different too, but the second she's out of sight, that's going to disappear, uh, complicated yep. by what we'll say in a minute. Uh, Rhaenyra agrees, though, for now. She says she'll see her family back home and then return alone on Dragon. Here we get this weird momentary clip of Miseria standing outside that we didn't even know if she was still around, going to be a part of the story. A whisperer comes to her, a little bird, to tell Mm -hmm. her what's been going on in the castle. So we have no idea who she's reporting to, what's going on with her situation, but she is still keeping her finger on the pulse of things. And back inside, in our final scene, Alicent brings Viserys his tea, milk of the poppy, Viserys, clearly spent from all of the exertion. Must have been the hardest day ever. Ill, now like gone on milk of the poppy, thinks it's Rhaenyra coming back because, you know, we had that time in the night before when she came to him, before the arrival of Viserys to the courtroom, where she pushed him, you know, and she said, why did you name me? And... What we didn't mention was she went on to, do you really believe in this prophecy you told me? Right. The prince who has promised all this stuff, you have to tell me what I'm doing all of this for because I question it now. Is it for real? And he didn't answer her that time. But thinking that he's continuing the conversation, he says, you wanted to know if I believe it to be true about Aegon's dream, the song of ice and fire. It is true. The prince that was promised to unite the realm against the cold and the dark in the north. It is you. You are the one. You must do this. And of course, Allison says, oh, my son. Now, does she like I really struggled. She doesn't know that story at all. When we first stopped this episode, I said, clearly, they want me to think she has immediately had a change of heart. She's back to her old ways that she needs to protect her family. She's angry again about something here. And they want me to think it's like, Oh, classic misunderstanding, which is what I hate. I think this is very weak to say, not only is it a miscommunication, we've seen that before, and I hated it then with Allison, where she went to talk to Kristen Cole. Yeah. And it was like, oh, we're talking about Damon or me, or I don't know. Like, I just, I think that's really cheap, sloppy writing to have to have it be such a miscommunication. And now it's because all their kids are named the same thing. Like, that's really (laughs) weak. I'm sorry. And and like I said before, even if the interpretation is, oh, you're telling me it's actually meant to be my son, I don't believe she would think out of all the sons it's meant to be Aegon for a second. Like yeah. no matter what Viserys is saying, she just heard him say he wants the family to be united, Rhaenyra should still be ruling, her children are still successors. Allison herself just said Rhaenyra will make a great queen. He's stupid off milk of the poppy. Like, I don't get why 
anything he says right now would have any impact on her. She wants to hear. I don't think she wants to hear that at oh, all. Okay. I don't think well, she wants Aegon to rule. And I so don't you think, think it's lazy. It's a little too it's easy. L- I don't understand it. If I walked away saying, what is Allison thinking right now? What is she? And I had to listen to what other people said to even get an inkling. And even then I was like, I don't really understand. I think that's bad writing. Mm, okay. That's really bad. There were plenty of seeds planted in the dinner and before this of the problems, the problems with the children. I don't think you needed like a weird... I misinterpreted your prophecy. I know, and it kind of makes Viserys' going out. It weaker. It. Yeah, I feel you. You know what? You're right. I'm on your I side. I really don't, like, take this scene out. Just have yeah. it be him alone thinking about the pro- I never told her. Yeah, that would have been... Rhaenyra. The rest of it, it it's too oh, late oh, now. What if him doing the same thing, talking about it, but there's no one in the room? How impactful would that he be? He thinks she's and then there. He dies. There's no one in the room. Even if you need something. And they show while he's talking, there's no one in the room. He's saying it with so much, such passion right before he has his last breath. And they B-roll it with Rhaenyra on the boat, mm. on the ship going back home. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much more impactful. You're right. It feels cheap. It's, comparatively. it's really cheap. I don't get the turnaround for Allison. I don't get why she would think this. And if this is what she's going to use as her ammo, again, the whole of anybody who's been listening just heard Viserys reproclaiming Rhaenyra. Fighting. Fighting, fighting for her kids. to go there. And she's got all of that behind her. And Allison's going to what? Come and say like on his deathbed when he was he out of his, his mind brain on milk of the pot and nobody was there to hear it just trust me that he said that like yeah. what yeah i i don't i hate all of this hate it um <laughs> i really think there's been some things with allison now i have to say that apparently there's like all of this book readers really love her and yeah and like just mixed people fighting over team green and team black and i get allison or i Fuck don't get her bitch. i don't I don't know if people are trying to stir that because they want a little bit of controversy because I'm not really seeing that. I'm seeing most people agreeing with us that it's like everyone's gray. and There's no redeeming qualities for Allison. And she is not, I don't think she's been written super well throughout. If there's one person that I feel there's been some stuff a little off, it's been her because I can see sometimes what they want me to think, mm-hmm. but they're not following it through enough with her character yeah. always. And this is one of those moments because everything else is perfect. Yeah, because with Damon, we can be mad at him and then love him again, then mad at him, then love him again, and then be like, no, I've given up on him. He's a bad seed. And then go two weeks later, I love this guy. I want him to kill everybody. Fuck everybody else. <laughs> like, you know, give me that her feeling mixed ways about the serving girl with Aegon earlier, that conflict we were talking about internally about the tea. Give me Larry skulking around and it is this weapon that's gotten out of her control that she doesn't know what to do with. Maybe the the piety is getting away from her the way it did with the sparrows. There's mm. so much that could be happening to flesh this yeah, out. Yeah, they don't even have Otto enough with his... No. You know, it's like a little bit here... And then two weeks later, a little bit there. And we're left to fill in the br- blanks. They're like, well, you know Game of Thrones. so Who's, Who did all of the this. Blanks. He did all of this. Yeah. But to end this on a, a high note, <laughs> um, because I did love this episode, that final moment 
where Viserys says, like, that's enough now. I can't, like, I can't anymore, basically. And then my love, as though we can picture he's crossing over, seeing Emma yeah. finally again. Like, I, I need to be at peace. I can't do it anymore. It's a great note for Patty Considine to go out on. He has been spectacular. I am very sad that it's not going to be the same without him. I loved his acting has been it's one been of my amazing. favorite parts of this show. Oh, but all of that being said, let's make this official and give it our dragon fire rating. All right. I'm going to go up one more tick and go 9.2. We haven't done nines in years. I know. This is phenomenal. I am debating if I go even or higher to the wedding episode, which was my highest at a 9.3. I mean, there's elements of that I liked better, but they finally, Allison aside, and that's a real sticking point for me, especially at the end of the episode, because across the board, other than that, did the really deep character work I've been looking for Mm -hmm. to finally hook me in on some of these stories and the emotional resonance in between them and really feel for them as a group. I think I am. I'm going to go up one more and I'll give it a 9.4. Nice, Chris. Okay. You know, I have so many friends and, and co-workers and acquaintances who have told me they watched three episodes and they stopped. And I was like, why? It's right before. Yeah. I, I can see we were saying it's a little slow, the first three. And then I had another friend who's still watching it, but he's like, I feel like I could relate to the Game of Thrones characters more. I could see that too. Yes, but then I quickly said, do you remember how you felt watching season one? Did you relate to them yet? And he thought about it. He's like, I don't know. Maybe I didn't. You have to remember that, and it's very difficult, where you were mentally after season one is not where you were mentally after season five of Game of Thrones, where it's the best show ever. This is season one. It's starting all over. These are new characters. And yes, they're speeding it up because there's only going to be four seasons, and we'll get into that later. It's a little different. It's supposed to be different. It's not Game of Thrones. It's just in the same universe. But I implore you, if you have a friend who just stopped after episode two or three because it wasn't given the same impact, the only reason why Game of Thrones had that impact is because they planted the seed for years to make you feel that way. I I do also agree, though, that there was a lot of stuff lacking that I liked about Game of Thrones that wasn't present here. And some of it still is, and I still miss it for that. I still prefer Game of Thrones as a storyline to what we're telling here. Sure. And so far. And I did struggle the first three episodes. It was four that I started to take a turn. So my thing would be try it through four. I went up from an eight three to an eight eight. And then I went to a nine three. Yeah. So that's really where they hooked me. Four, they were reeling me in and five I said Now I love this show. It is different. I like it for different reasons. There's still some stuff I wish could be there, and maybe it will be in the future. But it continues to go up for me. I really loved these two episodes. I can't believe we only have two left in this season. Crazy. So that's how we feel. Let's see how our Clatchers felt. Over on Twitter, at CKC Podcast, every week we ask our Clatchers, who is your MVB, Most Valuable Bannerman? And we will start with episode seven, where we gave you Rhaenyra, Alicent, Damon, and Aemond. Last place, with a tiny 4.3%, is Alicent. <laughs> no one likes her. This was a pretty rough episode for her. I'm surprised she got anything. And in third place, with 15.2%, is Aemond. 
Well, yeah, he did get the dragon. He lost an eye, but he did get the dragon. It's worth it, according it's to him. It's a huge deal, and we will see that coming into action soon. In second place, with 17.4%, is Damon. Him, alongside Rhaenyra, came up with the plan, executed the plan, and got married. They're both stronger for it. Speaking of Rhaenyra, she is the winner of episode 7 with 63%. For the same reasons. Sherry Ava said, I was relieved to see Prince Lenor was spared and will live his best life. I find myself rooting for the success of the Valerian custom of incestuous marriage. Together, adult Rhaenyra and Damon will ignite the screen. Also great, the filming of Lena's funeral at Driftwood was somber and dark, but still displayed vivid colors of red, green, black, silver, and white that portend an ominous future. Despite Prince Aemon being maligned previously, I find him extremely unlikable. With his newly acquired scar and the largest dragon, he joins the forces of future supervillain. Yes, most definitely. (laughs) And a great gif as well. Katie said, darn it, I have to wait a full week for the next episode. That was the best episode so far. And (laughs) it was. So, Christina, who is your MVB? Uh, Well, it's no surprise. It's Rhaenyra for this one. Same, same. This was the easiest episode to vote. I realize I've actually only named her once before this for episode two. What about myself? This will be your fourth Rhaenyra. I like her. Episode eight, we gave you Viserys, Damon, Allison, and Rhaenyra. Last place, yet again... With 5.1% is Allison. She's in the Boom. 5% and under. We hate you. <laughs> I mean, maybe she does deserve a little tick up for this reparation going on between her and Rhaenyra, but overall, it's still pretty bad. Coming in third place with 12.8% is Damon. I would have given him a little more. Me too, but... Some great action this time. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. You know, some epic moments for him. Um. I have a feeling, hopefully, the future episodes will be a lot more Damon. Him and Rainier are kind of had equal parts in this episode, so she comes just above him in second place with 15.4%. And then first place, of course, Viserys with 66.7%. Mm, he deserves it. I'm going to go right out there. I'm just going to say it. Viserys for How me. could it not be Viserys for the win, right? Even though what he did probably didn't have a lasting impact, the character will have a lasting impact in the Game of Thrones lore. And it's his final episode. I know we've been back and forth on (laughs) which one would be. Is this the last time? Is this the last time? But yeah, we've got it for sure now. It's the last opportunity we'll have to give it to him. Chris wrote in and said GOT fans were shocked when Eddard Stark was killed the first season. HOD fans were shocked. Viserys was still alive every episode. Yeah. (laughs) Hats off to Patty Constantine for an amazing performance. Hear, hear. Yes. And Katie Weaver says, So Viserys was entirely driven by duty, and in particular his duty to Aegon the Conqueror's vision. Need to rewatch the entire season. Damon and the Crown. (laughs) Sob, yes. Yeah. Such a key moment. Oren says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but we stopped watching three or four episodes ago. We just couldn't get into the show. I truly love your podcast and hope to catch up soon. Uh, come on. We was just it, said this. Was it before episode four and five? Because four and five really, for me, were the kickers. Hopefully, Oren jumps back in and he hears this and he's happy for going back into the show. Sherry Ava says the list probably should have included Princess Rainey's because she didn't turn on Rhaenyra and backs her in the end. Also, it's significant that her heart-to-heart talk takes place at the Weirwood Tree. We definitely went back and forth with yeah. Rainey's in the poll. Yeah, we had a great discussion. Like, we need to, we should put her in there. 
And we said, so then do we pair up Rhaenyra and Damon? Normally, if we pair, we make the whole list of pair. Yeah. This Twitter poll makes it really difficult. But if there was somebody else on it, it would absolutely be her. Absolutely. She's got a cool werewood tree figurine photo. I love all of these images with the werewood tree. Oh, that's on Etsy. So someone made that. Very cool. Thank you, Sherry. I she said she's going to send us that tree as a gift. <laughs> no, she didn't. <laughs> you, wish, you wish it said that. <laughs> well, that wraps up our poll and our discussions. Thank you so much, Clatchers, for writing in and for voting. I do have something that I wanted to read to you, Chris. Okay. It's from George R. R. Martin's Not a Blog website. Mm, okay, here we go again. On October 11th, he wrote this. Uh, his first two paragraphs were about football. <laughs> but then he goes, House of the Dragon has helped brighten my Sundays as well. I mean, I cannot really review the show. That would be crazy. I am hardly objective. But I do want to commend Ryan Condal and Miguel Sapochnik and the cast and crew for the work they've done. Hey, uh, author George R. R. Martin, that was a run-on sentence, just so you know. (laughs) (laughs) Sunday's episode, Lord of the Tides, was everything I hoped it should be. Kudos to Eileen Shim, the script writer, to Gita Patel, the director, to our incredible cast, and particularly to Patty Constantine for his portrayal of King Viserys. The first of his name. The character he created, along with the writers, for the show is so much more powerful and tragic and fully flesh than my own version in Fire and Blood. And I am half tempted to go back and rip up those chapters and rewrite the whole history of his reign. <laughs> Patty deserves an Emmy. <laughs> Patty deserves an Emmy for this episode alone. If he doesn't get one, hey, there's no justice. Meanwhile, I'm going to give Archmaester Gildian a smack for leaving out so much good stuff. No, I am not really going to rewrite Fire and Blood. <laughs> that was a jape. And, I, and no, I'm not going to assault Archmaester Gideon, who does not actually exist. I made him up. I wanted to address the time jumps in the House of the Dragon, not with any kind of official statement, but with some musings on the subject. There's a lot to be said. I do not have the time to say it now, though. Maybe in my next blog, or the one after that. Or maybe never, since work keeps piling up. Uh, Is Georgie losing it? I'm sorry. Okay, continue. (laughs) I knew that would get you going. Very briefly, however, I think Ryan has handled the jumps very well. And I love, love, love both the younger Alicent and Rhaenyra and the adult versions and the actresses who play them. Truth be told, we have an incredible cast and I love all of them. Do I wish we had more time to explore the relationship between Rhaenyra and Sir Harwin? The marriage of Daemon and Lena and their time in Pentos? The birth of various and sundry children? And yes, Allison gave Viserys four children, three sons and a daughter. Their youngest son, Daron, is down in Old Town. We just did not have time to work him in this season. And everything else we had to skip. But there's only so many minutes in an episode. More on HBO than on the network shows I once wrote for. And only so many episodes in a season. Fewer and fewer as time goes by, it seems. When I was a boy, shows had 39 episodes a season. By the time I was writing for Beauty and the Beast, it was down to 22. Cable shrunk that even further. The Sopranos had 13 episodes per season. But just a few years later, Game of Thrones had only 10. And not even that. Those last two seasons. (laughs) He just put that in quotes. Hmm. He won't elaborate on that. If if House of the Dragon had 13 episodes per season, maybe we could have shown all the things we had to time jump over. Though that would have risked, risked... having some viewers complain that the show was too slow, that nothing happened. As it is, I am thrilled that we still have 10 hours every season to tell our tale. Rings of Power has only eight, and as you may have noticed, and my 
Sea Show, Dark Winds, is doing six episode seasons. I hope that will continue to be true. It is going to take four full seasons of ten episodes each to do justice to the Dance of the Dragons from start to finish. But right now, Ryan Condal's focus is on HOTD Season 2, and mine is on the Winds of Winter. Uh, oh, this focus is on the Winds of Winter. Okay, that was a lot. <laughs> um, number one, I see where a lot of people who are real book purists are getting their message from now of like, don't criticize it because... Sure, we could have done this or that, but it would have made this different and we didn't have enough time, the time jumps. I think that, yes, I get it if you're a book reader and you have the overall picture of where things are going to know what's quote unquote important or not important, Mm -hmm. which is a bit of a spoiler, by the way, to just put that out there very, very early on in the season. Like, oh, I know where it's going and none of this stuff's going to matter anyways Mm -hmm. by the end. If we haven't read the book, we don't know that. We don't know where it's going and what's going to matter and who's going to matter. So you've made us sort of attached to certain characters that we wanted to see more of. It's not necessarily a criticism. It's not a huge complaint, but I think it's valid. I also think it's valid if you're watching the show and you don't have background on who certain people are, mm-hmm. what dragons are, are they doing enough to kind of make that easy to read And pacing-wise, connection with the character-wise, you know, we just saw from our listeners, some people weren't able to stay hooked with the journey. Yeah. So I do think that's unfortunate because we've gotten to the place now where we really, really are. But clearly that was a bit of a stumbling block for them. Now, this is the writer. You know, he's obviously going to stand up for his material and his vision and say what he thinks about it. Uh, For the most part, I definitely agree. I'm glad that he's praising the team that's involved here. These actors have been absolutely magnificent and calling yeah. out Patty Considine, also calling out Gita Patel, who is the director here. Jason, did you recognize that name? Because it seemed familiar to me and I couldn't remember where. Yeah, but I don't know where. The Magicians. Ah, oh, there you go. She was the director yeah. over there. And that totally makes sense and puts a few things together for me. Yeah, so many good things were said in that journal. It feels like a journal, right? Not a blog. Yeah, it does. He says it's not a blog. Four seasons. Yeah, I know. This is what I heard when I was talking about not understanding the timing. And again, he's stating they have that much material yet to come that they didn't have time to sort of backfill some of these. So what can we say besides we need to see it before we'll understand because we don't know Yeah. the overall storyline? For now, I think it, it's been great. And if George is listening, which he's not because he's so busy. I'm a web designer. I can redo your website. I'll do it for free. Or I'll do it for like a oh, I know. autograph I've seen picture it. I or something. I can't believe. Yeah. There's so many people that should have better websites. And please, I mean, this is not a thing he should have to think about. So I get That's it. if yeah, he's, he's just, just plugging it in. But, <laughs> you know, somebody should tell him because it is so popular. I'll do it for free to come hang out with you. How about that? I keep, <laughs> I keep making the price more. Sign autograph to I, come hang out. <laughs> Anyhow, we still have our two favorite segments to get to. So let's move on. Jason, what's next? Oh, what's next? It's time for our summary showdown. <laughs> That's right. It's a good one this time. Episode seven, the first, I think I used two sentences for this one, was we joined today at the seat of the sea to commit the Lady Lena of House Valerion to the eternal waters, the dominion of the Merlin King, where he will guard her for all the days to come. And then we ended with, they will fear what else we might be capable of. I think that's 
maybe your best so far. That's a phenomenal couple of lines. Yeah. There was some really good ones from seven. I struggled with eight, but seven I had for options. We have always been meant to burn together. It's just a great line. What is this brief mortal life, if not the pursuit of legacy, which is said by Corley's, but is so of a series line. Yeah. For the sass, exhausting, wasn't it? Hiding under the cloak of your own righteousness, but now they see you as you are. Mm. Ooh, so powerful. But the winner has to go to fire is a prison. The sea offers an escape. That's perfect. It sums up that episode very well. Yeah, the two houses, the kind of difference between them, how we end it, it's good. And episode eight, first sentence was, it's been near six years since I saw my lord husband maester. I must know, will he live? And we end with, it is true, the prince that was promised to unite the realm against the cold and the dark in the north. It is you. You are the one. You must do this. (laughs) Uh, To the wrong person. Oh, man, but still, what a great line. So I only had two here, but part of it was mixed in with yours. So I took it out. It was Aegon's dream, the song of ice and fire. It is true, the prince that was promised. And I went with my last Viserys line. The crown cannot stand strong if the house of the dragon remains divided. Set aside your grievances. Yep. That's that's the whole show, I think, right? Oh, the whole show, you're right. (laughs) Oh, that was a good one. That was fantastic. I can't wait for the end of the season to go over all of them. I know. This is going to be really good. And we have two quick notes for the closer look this time. First, the milk of the poppy. I thought it was interesting. We talked about Viserys' potential illness last time. Mm -hmm. And this is such a player in the background of these scenes. If you watched Game of Thrones, you're probably familiar with it, particularly characters who were abusing it at that time. But what actually is it? It's a powerful medicine that's drunk as a liquid, used as both a painkiller and an anesthetic, the Westeros version of morphine. Higher doses will induce unconsciousness, so patients could do things like undergo surgery. It was commonly used throughout the Seven Kingdoms for those who had suffered severe injuries, and the maesters made it from crushed poppy flowers. Thus, it had a white color and called milk of the poppy, but it also contained morphine and other opioid drugs. Oh, wow. So it was just like a very serious, massive painkiller. <laughs> I want to try it. It's, it. That sounds pretty intense. <laughs> and I guess every story has its own version of opium slash morphine usage. Uh, The last one is going to be tough because I know it contains spoilers, not what I'm going to tell you, the theme of it. I saw them coming in my research and stopped. Okay. So I don't really know where they're going with it. And I just took the little bit of background (laughs) primarily because I remembered their names from Game of Thrones, but not what they said about them. Okay. Just the fact that it was interesting do you remember that we saw a knight here, part of the King's Guard, called Sir Eric? Yes. He had this encounter with Alicent where he said, Your Grace, a matter has arisen that requires your attention. She says, What is it, Sir Eric? He'll need yeah. to wait. There's two Erics. He goes, Eric. No, I'm Eric, Your Grace. Yeah. It's Eric and Eric. Yep, of course. E and an A. Because the names. And so, they're twins. Right. So she says, <laughs> she says, Of course, my apologies, sir. Yes. These are twins, Eric and Eric Cargyle. That's all I remembered from Game of Thrones because I'm like, this is so freaking typical. <laughs> and I don't know why it stood out in my mind. I don't think it was important there. This is the first introduction here. They are of the noble houses of the Crownlands. House Cargyle is sworn to House Targaryen. 
Their sigil is a golden goose on a striped black and red background. Probably the most notable knights belonging to the house are the twin brothers, Arik and Eric. During the tourney for King Viserys' succession, both of the twin brothers were unhorsed by Sir Kristen Cole. Ah. And I think we might have gotten mention of that in the tourney. There was so much going on there that who really knows? And both brothers serve as members of the King's Guard during the reign of King Viserys. It was often said that no one could tell them apart. I feel like that has to be important. And I started seeing that they will be part of this story moving forward. And I said, sure. okay, that's enough. Interesting just to make note of it. Thank you. Yeah, that's a nice little teaser. Look out for the Eric Arik brothers. Yeah, and continue with the confusion of naming to say nothing of the Aegons we got this time. Well, that wraps up this podcast. This one's a little long. Sorry about that, Clatchers, but we had a lot to talk about. Well, and Jason, that means we're only going to have one more pod left on episodes 9 and 10, the finale, which I cannot believe we got to this place so quickly. Only covering two episodes at a time makes it go a lot faster. I'm hoping that we will have time for a bonus episode once the whole season wraps because we won't be under such a time constraint. That's really what pushed us into this position this time was just when are we able to take notes and record. But I really think that we're going to want to kind of wrap up our closing thoughts, give some more fun facts, and especially now that we know we're looking forward to a season two. Do you think they're going to do the GOT thing and have the penultimate episode be amazing? I mean, maybe, maybe not. I think they're going to have to have a banger for 10 because it is just a season one and they're really trying to establish themselves. Mm. And if we're leading all the way up to the action action we know is coming, I can't imagine putting it in nine. Something big might happen there, but I don't think it's going to be like the battle episodes of Game of Thrones because that's okay. the whole point of this show, right? Yeah. I, I'm Maybe a mini one. I'm thinking more like major character death sure. or, or dragon moment uh, yeah. for a nine. All right, Clatchers, we'll see you in two weeks for GOT, but our bonus will be released this Wednesday. So we'll see you over on Patreon. Till next time, this round's on me. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CKC Podcast. And if you'd like to support Jason and Christina and would love even more content, including bonus casts and movie reviews, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash CKC Podcast. This round is on me.